John 13. We're going to start in verse number 1 this morning. title of the message is Jesus, the Master Servant. And we're going to take a master class from the Master <laughs> in service. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, John 13. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say, Amen. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had girded, was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What, am I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. In chapters 13 through 17, we're going to see a transition. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. They're now in the upper room having a special time. It was the time where they would observe the Passover. This would be the final Passover that Jesus would observe with his disciples. And he wouldn't waste this opportunity to teach them to give them a master class, so to speak, in a few areas. During this time in the upper room, in this teaching opportunity, Jesus is going to do what all great teachers do. They demonstrate before they instruct. How many of you have parents who said, don't do as I do, do as I say? <laughs> Had a chain smoker daddy who said, boy, you better not ever smoke these things. <laughs> Anybody have that? But Jesus isn't that type of a teacher. He isn't that type of a leader. He's going to demonstrate to them what it is to be a master servant. And let me tell you, there's no higher calling for a believer than that of being a servant of God. The words that I long to hear, and I know many of you are living your lives to hear these words from Jesus one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, we live in a culture today that has flip the script. They don't believe like we believe. The greatest among the world, and it always has been this way in the world system, is those who serve 
who are served by many, those who have the high ranking and have the money and the influence and the power, but in God's economy, in God's eyes, the greatest of all are those who serve the most. And I'm mindful of this in the role that God has called me in pastoring. I am no better than any one of you here this morning. I have no more authority than any of you guys do in the kingdom. I have the distinct privilege to serve Jesus and to serve many of you. And this doesn't come, this is a, this isn't, <laughs> let me tell you something that we, I know pastor feels the same way that we, we went looking for. It's something that God called us to do. He called us to serve. And I find it very telling when I meet someone and, and one of the first things they say, well, you know, I can preach. Yeah, but can you change a diaper in the nursery? Or <laughs> can you, <laughs> can you wash a toilet? You know, I, I'm telling you like, it shows a lot what's going on with that person. And nothing's wrong with your gift. If you're called to preach, preach the word. But I've learned this. The people who God used are the humble servants who say, whatever it is that you have for me to do here, God, I'm, I'm all in. Whether it's raking leaves in the front, pulling weeds out the, 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 the flower bed, whatever it is, God, I'm going to do it. And Jesus is going to model what it is to be a servant. I want you guys to notice with me this morning the heart of the Master. The heart of the Master. I want you to notice that Jesus had an understanding heart. The emphasis in these first verses in John 13 is on what Jesus, He knew. He was aware of some things. He understood what was going on at this time. And the Bible talks about this. I want you to notice, first of all, He knew that His hour had come. All throughout this series, we've seen that Jesus would refer to, to this specific hour. He, he would often say, "This hour, my hour has not yet come. It is not yet time. And it, the, the Father has appointed an hour for me to be glorified, but we aren't quite there yet. But here we see in the beginning of, of John 13 that Jesus knew, He was aware that His hour had come. The hour of His glorification. He said this, Jesus knew that the hour had come that he should depart from this world. And this is emphasized in the, in the Gospel of John more than any other Gospel about this, this specific time. You see, because Jesus was always on that divine schedule. He was always within the will of the Father. And I've learned this to be true, church family, that when we're in God's will, we're on His schedule. So many times we try to fit God into our schedule. Don't we? So many times we prioritize other things and other activities and other people or good things, I would say, but oftentimes we aren't seeking God's will and what He desires. God, is it your will for me to do this? Where, where would you have me to live? Where would you have me to work? And I find it very telling in our culture uh, that this is the norm even within Christianity. But Jesus was on a divine schedule. We know He... Being God in the flesh, it was unique, his schedule. But I want us to get this picture that Jesus, he, he was always mindful of what pleases the Father. What is his will? And he had come to this hour. The Bible says that it pleased the Father to afflict Jesus. What Jesus was about to go through was a part of the Father's plan. It was the redemption plan. 
so that the world would be saved and it pleased God. And Jesus always did that. He, he understood His purpose. He understood the timing of it. He understood because He was God in the flesh, but also He was submitting to the Father. And I find this to be true in my life. This is a battle that I have to fight often. God, am I in submission to You? Am I Your humble servant? Or am I directing my own path? Am I trying to have my way? The Bible says that we should trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. But in all our ways, listen to this, not in some of our ways, not on Sunday morning, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him and He will direct our path. The Bible says a righteous man, is, 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 his steps are led by the Lord. And I want us to, to get this, this grip. Jesus isn't just our Savior. He should be our Lord. I'm going to say that again. Jesus isn't only our Savior. He should be our Lord. And this is practical. This is advice that I think many, this is what a lot of Christians are missing. And so, He has an understanding heart. And if we had an understanding heart, if we knew how short life was, if we understood how frail this life is, I think we would give more attention to hearing the will of God, to not missing the voice of God, to listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is where Jesus, the master servant, he's teaching us how to have that understanding heart. But I want you to see, not only did he understand that his hour had come, but he understood and he knew that Jesus, excuse me, that Judas would betray him. Look at verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knew this. He, he of course, prophesied it back in John chapter 6. He says, do not all of you, do not all of you, uh, say you follow me, but there, one of you is a devil. He, he knew that Judas was not a believer. He knew that Judas would be, uh, would be used by the devil to betray him. And I want you to, we, we should be very mindful of this, this situation with Judas. Judas Iscariot was one of the twelve. He was handpicked by Jesus. He listened to every message Jesus preached. He saw many of the miracles. He rose to a position of prominence among the disciples. He was the one who carried the money. He was the the treasurer of the group. He was respected. When Jesus uh, said in in one of the other Gospels that he would betray him, nobody thought that it was Judas. So it is very possible to look the part, to say the right things, to even be in ministry and not have a relationship with Jesus. And this is scary because apart from a relationship with Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no home in heaven. There is uh, no uh, covering in the sense spiritually. And so Judas would betray him. And the Bible says that the devil put into his heart. You see how the devil works? He, He... he puts a thought into our hearts. He, he, he does it to even believers. But the difference between us and a Judas or someone who isn't saved is that 
uh, we have a defense mechanism. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the, the spiritual armor, the, the helmet of salvation, the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, the, the shield of faith. We have means to, and we know the word of God, and so we have means to identify when it is the enemy coming in and trying to uh, deceive us or tempt us or get us to go off and do something uh, sinful, right? But unbelievers, like Judas, they're completely defenseless. See, the Bible says this about Judas, that Satan entered into him. This is unique because we don't hear about, we hear about demons possessing or, or you know, inf- uh, influencing people, be, people having a, a demonic uh, entity within them. We hear about that. We see it in the Bible, the demoniac of Gadara. We see that, but we never hear of the devil himself. See, most of us think it's the devil that's tempting us. He's just sending one of his, his boys. He, I think the devil comes for, for high-level things. And this is the highest. He's coming for Jesus. And, and when he tempted him, remember, the devil didn't send a demon to tempt him. He went himself. And here in this case, he's going to indwell Judas. And I believe this is a, a picture of future events, too. And I've talked about this before. We're in the Revelation study with Pastor. We're going to get to it. That man of sin, the Antichrist, who is going to be indwelled, I believe, by the the spirit of the devil. And you guys know that what the enemy does is he mimics God. There's an unholy trinity. And I believe in every generation he has a man that he is going, that he... If God were to start that divine timetable for the end times, and I believe there's a man that the devil has in every generation that he will infill, and that will be his Antichrist. And we've got to be aware of it. Pastor talked about it a few weeks ago. Um, a lot of people, a lot of Christians believe that we're not, we're not yet at the point in the world where people will follow a one world leader. You, yeah, right. We saw it a few years ago when the whole world shut down. And unilaterally, we saw the enemy, I believe, uh, leverage his influence, in a sense, over the world. And you think this world isn't, isn't ripe and ready for a, a charismatic leader to step on the stage? Who's going to broker treaties and, and nations that never had treaties? He's going he's gonna to bring the answer to world peace. He's going to he's going to start off as a good guy. And then we know that that's going to switch. But I want you to see Judas Jesus was aware of him. He was aware of what would take place just a few hours later when when Judas would would betray him. Judas was waiting for an opportunity to do this. Now they were in the upper room in Jerusalem close to where the religious leaders who had it out for Jesus and now he could make his move. So that he can profit from it. And we know that he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He was, he was greedy. He was covetous. And, uh, Jesus was aware of this. But I find it very telling that Jesus still washes his feet. We'll see in a moment. Jesus loved Judas. And I want you to get this picture. It's easy to love those who love us. 
but it takes the Spirit of God in us to love those who hate us. You want to know the level of our spiritual maturity? How do we treat our enemies? How do we treat people who harm us? Sometimes your enemy is in the house with you. <laughs> I'm just being hundred with you. Like sometimes it's people closer to you that hurts you the most. And what we have to understand here, the picture that Jesus is teaching us is a servant. A servant serves at all times. A servant isn't selective in his service. <laughs> so Judas, he knew Judas, Judas would portray him, but I want to see thoroughly. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things. And I want to see this is a beautiful picture. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus come over the horizon? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The Lamb sent from heaven. He came to die a sinner's death so that we might be saved. It's a beautiful picture, his submission to the Father. And the Father's approval of Jesus, he had given him all things. God had given him all things into his hands. Jesus had every authority that the Father had. I want you to get this picture. This is not, in a, like the cults would teach, this is not Jesus under the Father and the Father uh, having to bestow upon Jesus certain things. This is not what that picture is. This is once again a reassurance that when you saw, like we learned last week, when you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. You, you, they were one. What did he say when they wanted to stone him? He said, I and my Father are one. If you see Jesus, you're seeing the Father. The Word made flesh was manifest before them. So I want you to get this. Once again, John is nailing home the truth of the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. And God had given, the Father had given Him all things. He had come from the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In eternity past, Jesus was there. And He had come uh, through the virgin womb. He, he'd been born the normal human birth, lived uh, 33 and a half years, and now He had come to the hour in which He would be glorified. He had come from God and He was going to God. Jesus knew where He was going. He was going to ascend back up to heaven after He completed His mission. And I want you to just see our master servant, his heart. He had an understanding heart, but I want you to see secondly, he had a loving heart. A loving heart. Look what he says at the end of verse number one. We'll go back up. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. I don't know who's here this morning. I don't know. If there's anyone here who feels unloved, who feels unworthy, who feels un unseen by God, but I want you to know, just as Jesus loved those men, those imperfect men, these disciples, we can go down the line. They were broken just like you and I. 
And Jesus loved them. He loved them in all of their flaws. He loved them just as they are. And he had their best interest at heart. He loved them. And the Bible says he loved them till the end. He was going to complete the work. He was going to go to the cross. Even though just a few minutes down the line, these disciples couldn't even keep their eyes open while he prayed. (laughs) Even though these disciples all saved John the Beloved, we're going to run off scared. Even though Peter is going to deny him in the front of a little maiden at a fire. He knew all of their shortcomings, and yet he loved them. And I want to tell somebody this morning, Jesus loves you. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, Jesus loves you. He loves you. Aren't you thankful He loves you this morning? It's cliche. I know we see it. We see it on, you know, banners. We see it on, you know, we see it all the time, but let it sink in. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He has a loving heart, this servant. And I've learned this. Those who serve the best are those who love. I see it played out in my home all the time. I've watched my wife serve our family selfishly. Instead of running away from the puke like I do, she runs into it. (laughs) Two in the morning, three in the morning, because she loves those little babies that she carried in her womb. Never a complaint. And I'm just fast asleep. I remember, you know, when kids were babies, you know, half the nights I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hear them cry. Because my wife would lovingly get up and, and love on them and, and take care of them. And it's an example, I believe, of the heart of the shepherd that he, he, the Bible talks about in John 17. He told the Father, I haven't lost one of these that you gave to me. He was the greatest pastor shepherd that there ever will be. And he loved them. And there was no doubt in the mind of all of those men that Jesus loved them. Let me ask you, do you have a loving heart? I, I, I promise you, we will never serve like we should unless we love people. Unless we truly, through the Spirit of God, have a love for people. God had to teach me this early on in ministry. And I struggle with this. You know, sometimes I know when I'm getting a... a distant from God. I know when my heart is growing cold. You know how one of the, the main ways that I know that I'm not where I should be with God is that people begin to annoy me. And I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to love people. I don't want to hear my phone buzz. Oh, it's him again. I told him 15 times. My wife will see it. She'll see it like, hmm, maybe you should pray. (laughs) And the truth is, you guys are laughing because you know it's true in your life too. And And the truth of the matter is, the fruit of the Spirit, the very first fruit of the Spirit, love. When you're close to Jesus, when he's filling you up, you know what you're going to be? When you're squeezed by people, what's going to come out? Anger, frustration, love, long-suffering, meekness. Some of you husbands, I'm talking to myself here, 
What your wife needs from you is for you to be filled with the Spirit so that when she messes up, you don't meet her with a critical rebuke or, or you don't have to be always coming down on her. You can, you can show grace in the moment. You can lead with love and meekness. I'm telling you, some of you learn to serve this way in your homes. It would radically transform your home. It would radically change, transform marriages. I'm telling you, if we just did this, if we just sought the filling of the Spirit so that love would be what comes out of us when we are squeezed, I'm telling you, there'll be no need for marriage counseling. There'll be no need for any of that. We wouldn't even have to have a marriage group. Y'all be too busy loving on each other. You don't have time. to. <laughs> I'm just being real, right? Hey, I'm trying to help somebody today. Jesus, how did he treat those who hurt him? You don't think it hurt that Judas was going to betray him? You don't think it hurt that the disciples were going to flee? He still loved them. I'm, I'm learning this, and, I, and God had to teach me early on in ministry how love is essential. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 13? Though you speak of the tongues of men and angels... Have not love, you become as a tinkling symbol. Though you give your body to be burned, if you have not charity, if you have not love, it doesn't please God. You know, this is so convicting you know, to say it, but you could be the, 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 the greatest speaker, you could be the, the, the preach the best sermon. But if I'm not doing it, or, or that person's not doing it for the love of Jesus, for the love of people, it's, it's meaningless. And so, the heart of the Master it was an understanding heart. It was He had a loving heart. No one loved like Jesus loved. He loved to the end. But I want to see Jesus... I want to see next the, the hands of the master. You see the heart of the master, the heart of a servant, but the hands of the master. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took up a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, was, which he was girded with. And I want you to just get this picture, y'all. The king of kings getting a, a, a basin, filling it with water, taking off his outer garment, getting a towel, wrapping it around himself, getting down on his knees, and he began to wash the dirty feet of the disciples. Now this was... The lowliest of tasks. I want you to notice, first of all, the, the hands of the master, they did this humble task. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that many today, we don't look for the humble tasks to do. We want the recognition. We desire to be seen. Social media, we, we post about it. <laughs> You know, we go out, you know, I mean, anytime we read our Bibles, we gotta let people know, hey, look what I'm doing. 
telling you, this is a generation, like the Bible talked about, lovers of themselves. And I understand that our hearts are, are, listen to this, God wired our hearts in such a way that we cannot love self and serve others. You can't love God and serve mammon. It's either we serve God or we serve mammon. There's no in-between. Either we serve God or we serve self. Either we're humble or we are pride-filled. That's how God wired us. But we see the example that Jesus is setting. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is doing this humble task. He's washing their feet. Foot washing was necessary in that culture. In Palestine, it was the streets were not paved. They were dusty. And people wore sandals everywhere. It was a mark of honor for a host at an event to provide someone who would wash feet. And it was usually a servant's job. And it was viewed as a breach of dishonor or a breach of hospitality when there was not a foot washing provided. And often in that culture, wives would wash their husband's feet when they came home from work. I was like, hmm. <laughs> I told my wife that last night. Like, hey, I was studying for my sermon, you know. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And a step further, children wash their parents' feet. Kids, teenagers, dad comes home from slaving and construction or you know whatever. You take off his boots and you wash his feet. <laughs> Serve them. But most people in that culture had to wash their own feet. Most people didn't have the means to uh, have someone <laughs> to do that. But Jesus, he does this task, and he does it with humility. Um, D.L. Moody was a mighty man of God used in his generation. He shook two continents, America and, and, and Europe, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not very well educated he was a shoe cobbler. But one day he heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully surrendered to him. I want to encourage you guys, if you ever get a chance, find a little booklet, Why God Used D.L. Moody. And uh, but anyways, D.L. Moody had been used of God, and he, it was at the point where the Moody College was, was going, and he would hold conferences uh, there often. And there came people from far and wide to, to, to learn, to be in these conferences, to, to hear from this man of God. And in one conference, a, a large group came from Japan. And in that culture, at night, the Japanese would place, their guests in someone's home, they would place their shoes outside uh, of their rooms. And it was the job of the host to have the shoes shined and clean and ready for the next day. The Moody was walking the halls of, of the dorms during this conference and he saw maybe 50, 60 pairs of shoes out in the hallway and, and he asked someone, what is, what is this about? And they did a little research and they found out that this was the custom of the Japanese. And Dio Moody, he grabbed all those shoes that night, he took them to his room 
And he spent half the evening, half the night, shining those shoes. He didn't tell a soul, but one of his students or one of his assistants saw when he was placing the shoes back cleaned near the people's doors. You want to know why God used D.L. Moody? There's an example. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Are, are we humble? Is there any task that God could call us to right now that would be beneath us? And, and this is what I believe many of us have missed. We live in a culture where uh, it is emphasized that the, the, the more you have people at your beck and call, the more uh, money and influence and power that you have, the, the more high up you are in society and the less uh, uh, access, accessibility that people will have to you because you are up here and they're down here. But in God's calendar, in God's eyes, in God's economy, uh, he says the greatest among you will be the servant of many. And I want, I want to tell somebody today, Maybe it is for us to get back to finding the most humble of tasks, to humbling ourselves and serving God and serving people. Jesus knew his disciples' hearts. They were in constant competition. Who's going to be on the right hand? Who's going to be the most important in the kingdom when he brings your, when Jesus brings his kingdom? And Jesus is going to give them an unforgettable lesson here in humility with His actions of washing their feet. And I, I just, I feel like our church, we could take it a step further in this area as well. There are many, many who come, who call this church home, who do not serve people, who do not serve the, each other. They don't, they don't have this servant's heart. And we've got to see the example of the Master and let it change us. So Jesus is washing feet, washing their feet, and He comes to Simon. I want you to see verse number 6. Then He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to Him, Lord, are You washing My feet? Jesus answered and said to Him, What I am doing, You do not understand now. But you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And I want you to just get this picture. Peter's uncomfortable. <laughs> this is his Lord. This is his Master. We give Peter a hard time when we see him in Scripture, but I truly believe that Peter loved the Lord with all his heart. I believe that Peter desired to, to bring honor and glory to God and, and just at times he got a little overzealous. At times he stepped out of bounds and, you know, I'll take ten people like that rather than people who are standoffish, who do not love God, who, 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 who are lukewarm, who have no desire, uh, to serve God. Hey, I'll take up some Peters with me, uh, than, you know, than some who would be on the other side cold and not hot for God. But Peter sees this the, the role's being reversed. He's seeing that the master is serving and he's uncomfortable with it. His, he says, are you washing my feet? My master? My Lord? And he says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, says, Peter, 
Shut up. No, sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. No, he was gracious. But he says something I want you to get. He says, you do not know what, you don't understand. You do not understand yet what I'm doing, but you will after this. He gives a gracious answer to him. Peter doubles down. You will never. No. And then he says, you will never. I think Jesus got a little perturbed. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. But if I read this, he says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, let me interpret this. I, I read some commentaries because a lot of people use this for you know examples for salvation. Um, if, if a person isn't baptized as an infant, the, the Catholic Church teaches that you know something were to happen that they they're not covered. Anybody come from that where you know you're being pressured to baptize your infant, have them sprinkled or whatever it might be? But this isn't what Jesus is saying here to Peter. He's he's given an example. He says, "If I do not wash you, you have no part with me." In other words, if if I'm not your Lord and I'm not your Savior, if I, you have no part with me. He wasn't literally saying, if I don't wash your feet right now, Peter, you're out of the kingdom. It's not what he was saying. What he was saying was he was emphasizing the need for every person to be washed, to be saved, to be a part, to be identified with Christ, to have that relationship. And so he's going to expound upon this in just a moment. So when he says this to Peter, Peter straightens up real quick. But he says, Lord, not only wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> you see, Jesus made it clear to, to Peter, hey, this is, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to understand in a moment. And Peter was objective, was, was objecting to it at first. But we see when Jesus speaks to him, Peter is clear of one thing, if not anything else, is that he wants to be connected to Jesus. Even though he missed the spiritual lesson here, Peter was certain of one desire, that he loved Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I want to ask you this, this morning. We may not understand everything it is to, to walk with God and everything that there is that we, we are called to do and all these other nuances of, of this faith that we, we hold to. But let me ask you, do you love Jesus? Do you desire to be with Him? Is He the heartbeat of your life? Or is it, or is He secondary? You'll get to that relationship when you have some time. And I want to encourage us, if that's where you find yourself today, Today would be a great day to, to, to repent of that. To ask for God to restore that first love in your heart for Jesus. So Peter says, hey, wash not only my, my feet, but my hands and my head also. But I want to see what Jesus says to him in verse number 10. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs not, needs only to wash his feet, excuse me, but is completely clean. And you are clean. He's talking to Peter. He says, you are clean, but not all of you. Verse number 11. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So Jesus confirms that Peter is one of his. He's one of his sheep. He says, you are clean, Peter. You're good to go, Peter. I've got you, Peter. You're one of mine, Peter. But not everyone here. 
He is, of course, referring to Judas, the one who would betray him, the one who did not place his faith completely in him. And I want us to just think about that. Once again, closeness does not mean clean. Close to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean clean in this case. You could be in church, you could know the Bible, you could serve God and not have a relationship with Him. And this is the sad and sobering reality of Judas. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you have that relationship with Him? Now, some of us, we've had times in our lives when we've doubted that relationship. Anybody been there? I shared in the earlier service, you know, and I shared before, there was a time when a preacher came through my seminary, he preached a message and he said something like this, that if you're only 99% sure that you're saved, then I'm 100% sure that you're lost. But as I studied my Bible and as I understand it, many of our heroes in the faith had struggles, had doubts, had times and seasons of weakness, and I see it throughout Scripture. I just remember that day just praying and asking God to reveal to me if I were His. I was I was rattled that day. I promise you that day He, he did in a miraculous way. See, the Spirit of God is going to bear witness within you if you are His. If you are not His, then the Spirit of God will not bear witness. There will be no fruit. There will be no evidence. There will be no desire for Jesus. Hey, one of the signs of a person who is in Christ is the desire to be with him. Y'all remember the demoniac of Gadara? When he got saved, what did he desire? Take me with you, Jesus. I want to go with you, Jesus. I want to be with you. And Jesus said, no, not, not Terry here. You have work to do here. And the heart of every believer, if you are saved this morning... You you desire to be with Jesus. I, I, hey, to some extent, I love my family. I love my wife. I want to be here. I want to see my kids grow up. I, I want to <laughs> I want to finish my race faithfully. But let me tell you something. There are times when I have longings for a place that I've never been. There are times when I want to see His face. There are times when I would, like Paul said. It, it might be it's better to be with you, Jesus. I'm looking at the crowd. I know some of you, your spouses are with Jesus right now. And you miss your, you miss your spouse and you're looking forward to the day of, of being reunited with them. And, but the greatest thing about heaven isn't our spouses being there. You won't be married in heaven. I want you to know that. My wife's house is going to be right next to mine, though. And I'm going to go over every day. <laughs> I told her that already. Like, her house is going to be bigger than mine. <laughs> She's dealt with a lot of things to to serve God and, and to be in ministry. It's not easy, but I'm gonna be over at her place. <laughs> but I want you to understand the greatest part about being saved is isn't the fact that we're going to go to heaven. Even the greatest part about heaven is who's there. The worst part about hell is that who isn't there. And I want to just 
Remind somebody today who Jesus is. How much he loves you. You see, we love him because he first loved us. And I want you to get this picture. Jesus rose from supper, a place of rest and comfort. He had done so before. He rose from the throne of heaven, a place of rest and comfort, to come to heaven, come to earth, to walk this dirty land for us. He laid aside his garments that night, um, and he took off his outer covering. He also laid aside his glory in heaven, and he took off that heavenly covering, that glorified body to take upon the form of a servant. He took up a towel and he girded himself to be ready for work that night in that upper room. He took upon that form of a servant when he came to earth and he, he walked and he dealt with the things that he never had to experience before so that he can finish the work for you and my salvation. He poured water into a basin ready to clean the disciples. And just a few hours later, he would pour his blood out to cleanse the world from guilt and the penalty of sin. He rose from the grave three days later. He ascended to heaven. He sat down on the throne of, of heaven. After he finished washing the disciples' feet that night, that faithful night, he sat down again and he rested and he began to teach them. And I want you to get these parallels. Oh, Jesus, he's so... He's so lovely. He's so incredible. And what he is teaching to his disciples here is true service finds the, the a true servant finds the most humble of tasks and completes it and, and lovingly completes so to serve those in whom he has influence. And um, we've got to get back to that church. I want to see, uh, lastly this morning, and we're done, the instructions of the Master. He gives instructions. After he demonstrates true service, he's going to give instructions to the disciples. Look at verse number 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments up and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? So, like any good teacher, he's going to give a quiz. <laughs> he's going to give a test to draw out the significance of the lesson that he just taught them. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And um, he says, I, continue on, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So the instruction of the Master is this, that we are to serve one another. Now, there are churches who have taken these words and they literally have as one of their ordinances foot washing. Have anybody ever been to a church like that where they still do foot washing? Okay, nobody in here. In the South, it's still going on a lot. Um, but what Jesus is emphasizing here isn't the, the act of washing feet. He is emphasizing the necessity, the, the, the command that he has given to those who follow Him to serve one another with humility. The emphasis is on humility here. 
And he being greater than them, he said, I am on a higher level. I am your Lord. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. And yet I served you. And so what I have done, I want you to do for one another. He says, I have given you for an example. I've given this to you for an example that you should have done to uh, one another. So I want to pose the question again. Are we serving each other? Do we as a church family, are we as Christians, are we serving people? And I know it to be true that most Christians do not serve. They have no outlet. It's all about them. It's all about their tribe and no one else. They don't look outside of their their uh, own needs and their own. It's very rare that we get outside of our comfort zone to serve other people, to serve the body of Christ, to to do the difficult task, the humble task, to show people that we care. And this is why we have no audience with the world. Help me. Because if we, listen to me, the world knows what we are against. They know about our conservative values. But what they do not see is humble servants. What they do not witness is Christians being the leading when it comes to adoption. When it comes to taking care of people's needs. Now, I know our primary focus is to get the gospel out. But you also know that we have a, a call, I believe, from God to meet needs in our society. Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name to the least of these, you have done it unto me. Pure religion undefiled, listen to me, pure religion undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Am I preaching the Bible this morning? Where does it show up in our, in our budget? Where does it show up in our time? Where does, it, where does service to the least of these show up in our lives? I would dare say most Christians have no way to point to it. And this is why you're miserable. I'm going to be a hundred with you. The happiest days of my life are when I'm serving other people. I remember in seminary, they gave me a bus route. They gave me, a, they, they made me a bus captain and that was, that was a big deal, you know. <laughs> they gave me a route. Um, from Beach Avenue over there. You guys know those the, the rough side of town. And <laughs> and I remember those beach apartments. We'd pull up there, and like sometimes 30, 40 kids would come out of that apartment to get on the bus. It was exciting times. But we'd go. I don't know how this ministry worked, but we'd go on Saturday. We'd go knocking on doors, and, and, and we'd meet parents, and we'd say, hey, we're from such and such church. And we want to take your kids with us to church. And people would sign their kids up and let us take them to church. Now, God knows. (laughs) He knows our hearts. But those buses would be packed. But let me tell you, most of those were single moms. Most of the time, not all the time, but a lot of those kind, those kids were abused, neglected, malnourished at times. I remember going in there. At times we'd knock on the door and the little, little five-year-old would open the door and they wouldn't be dressed. Their mom would be hung over on the couch or strung out. And I remember sometimes going into the house, helping the little kid get their shoes on, 
having a Pop-Tart in my, my back pocket because I knew she, they didn't eat, giving them that. And those kids would light up. They, would, they, they knew that we loved them. I remember just scraping pennies together every week to, to buy candy to throw in the bus and, you know, just, just crazy stuff. We, we did everything we could. We, but we got water balloons and we, it would be 100 degrees in that bus. We'd throw water. I mean, we'd do everything we can. I dress up like Batman on special. I, I did everything I could because I love those kids. The other day I had to go do a hospital visit, Phil. <laughs> oh, Tim had fallen on his bike. I, hope, I don't know if he's going to hear this, but Tim had, had an accident. You want to hear something so funny? That, that a few days later we're up here in the front worshiping. And I think, what you call, did you say Tim is up here too? And, and Phil calls him Crash or something. <laughs> He had a concussion. I'm looking at Phil. I'm shaking my head like, too soon, Phil. Phil. Come on, Phil. I'm, I'm trying to worship. I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm like, too soon, Phil. <laughs> anyway. But I went to go visit him. He was in the hospital. and I get to the front at the security and, and he's he doesn't he's not in the room he texts me he said I'm in the hallway I don't have a room it's so packed in here AV hospital Jamie was there and uh I get to the front security and they ask me who I'm visiting and I'm greeting I look and it's one of my my old bus kids he's now he's big and buff and got a whole beard and his name is CJ and I was not supposed to be allowed to go in cuz there wasn't really a room for me to, or someone who, I wasn't supposed to go in, but CJ walked me right up to the front, let me in. I went, I was able to sit there and pray with, uh, with Tim, spend some time with Tim, and, and God just reminded me, because I remember CJ and his sister, and I remember picking them up over off of Sierra Highway and the, the apartment buildings there and just loving on him and how he would light up on the bus and no daddy in, in, in sight, just a single mom doing her best. And God reminded me, it matters. He remember He gave me the biggest hug. And I want to tell somebody today, what's missing in your life is is you don't serve anybody, and you're not happy, because look what Jesus says. He says, "Most assuredly I say to you, verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him." If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, when the Bible says blessed or blessed, that means happy. That means joy. And many people have no joy. Many Christians have no joy because it's all about me, myself, and I. There's no way, there's no outlet, there's no way that we humbly serve somebody else. So in the life of a believer, service isn't optional. And you know, the, we always tell this to our kids, charity begins at home. Jesus said, they will know you how you love one another. Look around this room, you know, and any Christian that is in the family of God, listen to me, we should love them in such a way that the world knows that we belong to Jesus. What did he say? I have loved them. And I have loved them to the end. And this is where, this is where we're dropping the ball. 
Because I promise you, if we start loving like this, the world is going to take notice. The world is going to see we're different. They're not like us. They're not like crabs in a barrel. <laughs> They're not like that. They go to job, they go to the job site and they say, Foreman, what is the task that nobody wants? I'll take it. And I'll do the very best I can at it. What do you need? I mean, there will be a whole paradigm shift in a lot of, I think, in our culture if Christians started to live out this instruction from our master to love one another and to love others in the world. And uh, God really convicted me of this. God blesses his servants not for what we know. Listen to me. Not for what we know, but for what we are obedient in. Many of us know what to do. Problem is we don't do it. And the blessing comes with obedience. So I'm going to leave that where that will lie. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You're like Judas, you know, you have some religious knowledge, but you don't have a relationship with him. I want to encourage you today, turn to him. He loves you. He desires you. He died for you. And he is willing and able and wanting to save you. Don't put him off. Do not resist him any longer because it could be fatal. It could be eternity at stake, even today. I want to encourage you, if you need Christ, there'll be men and women in the prayer room. To my left, there's a room over here we call the prayer room. And we'd love to pray with you for anything that you need prayer for but especially if you need Christ today. We want to encourage you to come. Christian, maybe you have not been a humble servant. Your heart isn't loving. God's convicted you today. Hey, today's a good day to hit the reset, to ask God to give you His heart, to follow His way, His example. I want to encourage you to do that.